Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. You've heard me talk on the program before about the challenges of being a woman in the tax profession. Despite the inroads we've made, it's still a very male-dominated profession. That's very true at the top. Only about one-fifth of all equity partners were female in 2019, according to the National Association of Women Lawyers. And at the accountant level, according to the AICPA, Women make up around 30% of partners at CPA firms, but only 20% at the largest firms. Fortunately, this is something that we're talking about more now. And to talk about it today, I've asked one of the leaders in the industry to the show. Kate Barton is the EY Global Vice Chair Tax, where she oversees all aspects of EY tax strategy and operations, representing more than 55,000 tax professionals around the world. Additionally, she leads the EY Tax Executive Committee and is a member of the EY Global Executive, EY Global Practice Group, and the EY Global Diversity and Inclusiveness Committee. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Kelly, for having me. Delighted to be here. So let's talk about how you got to where you are because, you know, it's, I kind of mentioned the statistics earlier, but there aren't a lot of women in the very top at the profession, even though we've been talking about this a lot. So how did your journey happen? Well, Kelly, when you think back, I've been in the business now for 37 years. So um, dating back to when I started with EY as an intern, I think I've always been blessed and very fortunate to have good mentors and good sponsors through the years. So I did, believe it or not, stop back as an intern in 1985. Mm -hmm. And um, I was still in law school at the time and got an internship and really had the good fortune of getting involved in international tax almost from the beginning. And so I really enjoyed the clients I was assigned to and the great people I was working with. And It just really connected. I had a business undergraduate in accounting and business, and I was able to mix that with my law degree and get started. And I never really looked back. But I would say that I was really fortunate to have great, great mentors, people that really took me under their wing and developed me, and then great sponsors through the years, who the people that use their political capital to get me to the next role and for the next opportunity. So um, both you need both in order to succeed in your career. And is that something you sought out? Because this is a question I get asked a lot when I speak like at law schools and, and universities. Folks will say like, how do I get a mentor? How? So did you seek that out or did would, was there a program in place that assigned you a mentor or how did that happen? Well, in my earlier years, we really weren't that sophisticated. And I don't even think I understood what the difference between a mentor and sponsor was. Mm-hmm. And so as time went on, I got um, more educated in the topics. We became more aware. And so at different points in my career, I did start to seek them out. But in the early years, I really just got lucky. I worked hard and I had, I always worked for a lot of different people. I listened to everybody, took their advice, kind of tried to siphon through it and pick the best of of people, sometimes learned through others what I didn't want to do in my own career. And so that sometimes can be a valuable lesson as well. But I had um, 
I had a lot of good people that took interest at the beginning. And, and so um, probably one of the most difficult things I had in my career was to make partner at the firm. And that's when I realized the probably for the first time, the difference between excellent mentors versus a really good sponsor. And so I needed to up my game and take more of an interest and realize that just hard work wasn't going to do it. I needed to have the right sponsorship as well. And so I, I saw that and branched out and that helped me a lot in my career. And why did you choose international law or international tax? Because first of all, tax itself is not an area of the law that a lot of women go into, like on the pure tax side. Like there are some, you know, tangential tax areas that there there are more women, but tax itself is not very women dominated and international in particular. So what drew you to the international side? Well, I really like complex puzzles. And to do international tax, it really is a Rubik's Cube because you not only have to know the US tax system, you need to understand the the other countries' tax laws as well and how they fit together and how you can make sure that you're not paying double tax and the intricacy of that. So I enjoyed that. And once again, I just got involved in that at the beginning. So got grounded in a lot of the beginning aspects of it and then just continued to grow expertise and really enjoyed the people that were in that group um, in the Boston office at the time. They were just a lot of fun. They were uh, very driven and I also had the opportunity to travel with some of my clients, and that was really fun too. So, you know, being a young person in the business, it all meshed together and uh, made for an exciting career. You know, being able to travel with clients, see the world, and sort of piece together their tax structures and and the complexity that was that was exciting for me. Still is. And were you more on the like the individual side or the corporate side of the international piece? Corporate. So um, really on the corporate, I know the individual. I mean, back when I started, we did a little of everything to get started. So Mm -hmm. I definitely have been grounded in most aspects of tax, but international tax for corporations, the multinational side is really where my expertise is. So when you were, you know, kind of developing in your career, you mentioned having both uh, mentors and sponsors. I guess the mentors in the beginning helped you figure out the direction and kind of how to be, I guess, how to be a lawyer. And then, so what did your sponsor do? You referenced, you know, making partner and and how that was difficult. What was the role of your sponsor in in that, uh, at that moment? Well, back in the time that I was making partner, we had merged um, uh, several years before. It's when Ernst and Winnie and Arthur Young had come together. And I probably... Um, were, was working with um, three partners that were all great mentors. They really helped me understand, you know, how the tax rules worked, how to serve clients and uh, be the t- the best tax professional that I could be. But probably none of them were um, the types that would necessarily thump on the table to get me promoted to partner. And so the uh, tax managing partner of our region at the time was someone that I didn't know very well. He, you know, had come over with a merged entity. And so um, what I realized, and really it was through one of my seniors that was working for me, he said, Kate, are you up for partner? And I said, gee, I'm not sure. I assume so. I hope so. I mean, I should be. And he said, "Um, not hearing your name. I mean, here's my senior working for me. And he had more insights on this than I did. And uh, water cooler talk. And so he suggested that I find out. And I said, I'm sure going to find out. So I I went and met with the uh, tax managing partner 
And, you know, I think he was a little surprised that I wanted to be a partner. Maybe there were some assumptions that, you know, uh, women and I, I was the first um, uh, female tax partner in the Boston office. So it was um, breaking ground. And I had to make, be sure, like people understood I was working really hard and serving my clients and and getting great feedback from all of those. And, and um, you know, I had developed a lot of relationships and done all of the things that you would expect for me to get promoted. So the good news is, um, is that I realized I needed just to sort of take time out and make sure that that folks knew what I was doing, what my goals were. And uh, it all came to pass and it all worked out for me. But I, I think had I not done that and understood that I needed to spend more time having that kind of sponsorship, I, I might not have had the same success that I did. Was there ever a moment when you thought, you know what, this is not what I want? No, I really have always enjoyed what I did. I, I do think when I look back, I mean, that was probably the most frustrating time because I, I didn't realize that I had to um, sort of toot my own horn. I just thought that that would be seen, if that makes sense. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, so I, I think that's probably the moment where I maybe had the most trepidation. Am I on the right road? Is this what I really want? But then once it happened, I really enjoyed partnership and then started to work my way, not only serving clients, I always serve clients, but also working my way into management roles, which I've enjoyed as well. And, you know, really have developed, I think, as both a person and a profession professional as a result of of the different opportunities moved from Boston to New York and and then have been a globe trotter in my global role um, prior to the global um, pandemic. But now I'm traveling virtually. So that's interesting as well. Do you think that's going to change after the pandemic? Do you think that travel's going to slow down generally at tax firms? This is something we've kind of been speculating about a little bit in the profession, like whether or not we think that people are getting used to the Zoom calls, or do you think it's going to go back to the way it was? I think it'll be some hybrid. I know that's probably being overused. We were joking around at EY last week saying, you know, oh my gosh, if we hear that everyone's going to have the hybrid model one more time, what does that mean? (laughs) The answer is no, none of us really know, but I do think some kind of a mix. I certainly think that the pandemic has shown us that we can use technology far more than what we thought we could. That said, we are all pretty tactile humans. We like to be with people, being with your clients and having a dinner with them. That matters. And so I think we're all a little starved for that. So how do we bring it back, not go as crazy as we were before the pandemic, but some happy medium? Um, so that's what we'll be in search of. And so it remains to be seen how that really shapes up. But I think everybody's aspirations are in the right spot. And when you were talking about you know technology changing, obviously, you've seen a lot of changes in your career, especially, I mean, it's funny to me just how much things have changed in the last couple of years. But I remember calculating D&I by hand. Um, on a 1041. And, you know, now the people that are uh, starting out in law firms look at you like, or why are you crazy that you ever did any calculations by hand? What are some of the technology changes that you see that you think are really good for the profession? Oh, there are so many, Kelly. And so I'm dating myself. When I first started and we were doing international tax work, the questions were a lot simpler. People would ask you, should I set up a branch in this location or a subsidiary? We'd have to fax out to uh, 20 countries at once the same fax, but you know we had to make sure they went through. Then we had to get a confirmation. Then we waited days before we got an answer to what now would be the most simplest of questions, but at the time was incredibly complex. Mm-hmm. And so, getting rid of all of that, going to email and 
Uh, that's amazing. The whole on um, video conferencing is is also amazing. But you know, beyond that, just the use of artificial intelligence that we're doing right now, we're really taking the robot out of the human. And you know, when I think about some of the tasks that I had to do when I was younger, that really didn't help me learn the art of taxation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were, um, you know, mundane, repetitive tasks that somebody had to do. And so you had to get them done while you were doing really good work. At the same time, you sort of had to do, I'll call it pay your dues work. And now a lot of that has been automated and is done by machinery. And so I think that, you know, younger people starting today have such a better opportunity to do more meaningful work. So, you know, how quickly will they progress through the the firms, they'll, they'll just be so much smarter and more advanced than I was at their comparable ages. Does that make sense? I mean, I just think the, the possibilities are great. Yeah, no, this is a discussion that we've actually had on the show before, but also in other conversations. I know with Jody Paydar, I've talked to about these kinds of issues. One of the things that's really interesting to me is that there is in both in the law and on the accounting side, kind of a fear that technology could be a bad thing. And it's this notion of like job loss and and what does it mean? And one of the the answers is exactly, I think what you said, which is that there's a lot of, you know, we aren't, we aren't paid as, as attorneys to be data entry people. I mean, that's a job, but that's not the best use of our time, right? Like the, the reason that lawyers and accountants, especially in, in situations like you mentioned, like international, um, and also in controversy work, it's a lot of problem solving. And the more time that you can spend on the problem rather than all the extras, right? The data entry, the um, you know, the faxing back and forth, which we still have to do because of the IRS, it actually leaves you with more time to think about how you can better service your client. Absolutely. You've got it. And painting that picture for young people that are considering the profession is so important because you know, that that is so key to all of us is to have this legacy where new people come in, because I think it's just a great place to practice if you're so inclined. I mean, it's just and it's only getting better. And when one of the things you said earlier, I kind of want to circle back to when you were talking about some of the firsts, you know, that you were the first female partner in the Boston office. On one one hand, I imagine that must be really great, right? Because you feel very, very proud of, of what you've done. But on the other hand, one of the things that I've heard people talk about who are especially women and people of color is that they feel like they now have to be kind of the spokespeople. Like it's like becomes your job to educate other people. Do you feel any of that? Like, do you feel like it's an extra almost burden or job? And I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean, like, do you feel this added responsibility because you have achieved so much and do you feel this added responsibility to talk about it? Or are you just hopeful that other people, you know, now I've, I've gone ahead and done the thing, right? So now other people don't have to worry about being the first. Like, do you think that just being a trailblazer is enough? Or do you feel this responsibility to talk about it? I think it's important to trailblaze, but also to take care of the people below you. And so I've always sort of used this imagery when I talk to our people. All of us should have one arm up sort of looking for that next opportunity and grabbing it and and then one arm down bringing along the next um uh woman leader as well and or minority. And so I think that's just really important. So I think it's a combination of doing both. 
And I've never really felt the burden of that. I've always been really honored that I was uh, the first um, uh, female partner in the Boston office for EY and and then um, became the the first um, uh, woman uh, managing partner in uh, in New England and uh, for our firm and and then the first um, woman to run the New York tax practice in the Northeast. And so there was just a lot of first for me. And, and, you know, I think it was really fun to be that a role model and, and to break down some glass and barriers and, and then make it easier for other people. And now I feel like there's so many more women in our business and inside our firm and at our client organizations. Uh, We did some recent research recently and, you know, heads of tax and and um, so many of the um, U.S. multinationals, particularly, but globally, uh, for that matter, are in fact female. And so, um, out of the the Fortune uh, ten, you know, seven of the ten were were are female led in tax. So I think that's important because you know our clients always like to work with people that are similar to them. And so, listen, they just becoming more and more apt, but we still have a long ways to go. So I don't, um, I don't say we rest on our laurels, but we need to continue to stay very focused and make sure everybody has equitable opportunities. Right. Did you ever receive any resistance from like the male partners in the office? Not because of your work, but just like resistance generally to the idea that maybe that now that there's a woman in charge, did you sense that at all? Honestly, I think that they were really good when I look back and I think about having to um to prove myself. I mean, the the folks in in the Boston and New England tax practices, we had also just brought up brought in a bunch of new partners when I took over in my first management role from Arthur Anderson after it had uh, had its its issues, which was sad. Uh the partners came in and honestly, they were the, my biggest supporters. They were so open to being led by a woman. They helped me. Uh, Some would pull me aside and say, Kate, maybe a little less of this, more of that. And I took their coaching and, you know, we had a lot of fun and we grew our business uh, terrifically. And so they were great. When I went to New York, I I certainly, it was a, a whole new challenge, but the New Yorkers were really good to me. I mean, I had a lot of senior partners that embraced me and, um, Help me get sponsorship with the more cynical partners who are like, who is this gal from Boston? What is <laughs> right. she doing in our territory? Why did they bring her down to do this? But honestly, what I've learned over the years is, at least within our firm, is if you do good work and you are sound in your reasoning and you have thought through what you want to accomplish and you have the answers, the, the partners will listen. And if it's coherent and reasonable, they'll get behind you. And that's what happened with the New Yorkers. So. Um, you know, we ended up uh, growing our business, fixing our bottom line, which was all really important to the firm and had huge success. And, um, you know, they did better financially. And many of them to this day, even if they're retired, will come back and say those were great years working with you, Kate. And that to me is a real, you know, real testimony to what we all accomplished at the time. Yeah. Did you have any problems with customers? Because I was thinking, especially in terms of international, because um, I've also done some some international work, sometimes culturally, it can be challenging. Did you find that there were any corporations, either domestically or internationally, that were um, challenging on the customer or client side because you were female? Well, listen, there were a lot of things at the time that, that you know, you, um, you had to navigate your way through as a as a woman uh, practicing business, but, you know, always managed 
you know, I always tried to find the humor in situations, Kelly. So I have a fond story I'll say in one of my clients where my first trip to Asia Pac, I was in uh, Pusan, Korea, and was supposed to be picked up by the client organization. And, you know, I was in my jeans and a casual outfit. And I think they were must have been expecting a man is what what came out. So they I wasn't what they were looking for. So I kind of got left at the airport and then I had to take a cab. I didn't have my uh, Korean um, currency. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, you didn't have a cell phone back in those days. So navigating myself to the hotel was Herculean. And I made it. And the next morning um, they were all like, oh, we were at the airport. But we thought, you you know, we thought Kate was a a man's name. Like they just didn't expect to um, to see me be me. So anyway, it was a very funny story. But that's just, um, you know, like one of the things that I had to navigate back in um, in the days. But we've come a long way. And our clients, again, I I was very fortunate that as long as you knew what you were doing and you could um, plan their tax affairs smartly, most people just looked at. You know, they they love the the technical work, and I've always been a good technician and someone who understands how the tax rules work, and so they worked with me. I think one of the cool things about tax, especially as it applies to women, is what you alluded to about it. It's a very results oriented business. Like you know, there is an answer. Um, and actually, I interviewed a business owner a few weeks back on the podcast named Will Reynolds, and he's a really successful block entrepreneur in Philadelphia. Um, has a multi-million dollar business. And one of the things he said, because he does SEO, and he said one of the reasons he was attracted to it is because he could show people results. And that then it didn't matter who he was or what he looked like. And I think that taxes that way. That's I mean, I'm a numbers geek, so I love that part of it. But you know, there's an answer at the end of it. And you don't always have that in all of the legal profession. Right. No, I think it's a really good call out. And I think that honestly did help me quite a bit, especially in the beginning years where it was more novel to be me, ser- you know, serving clients. Is there a moment in your career that you're most proud of? And, you know, I know that you've mentioned already, you know, the promotions, but is there like a, either a moment where you solved something that was really problematic and you're like, you know what, that was amazing. Or if someone else said to you that that was amazing, is there a moment that you're like most proud of in your career? Yeah, there's probably a couple. I mean, I think for sure I I was really excited on some huge um, restructurings and big, big projects for clients where they went out of their way to recognize the efforts of the global teams that I led and, you know, financially rewarded our firm in a, in a way that was um, special at the time. And so just uh, there was a tremendous amount of accolades within the firm. So that was exciting. But probably the most important to me was making new partners. I mean, one of my partner mentors who was very is very dear to me, said, you know, you're really not a partner, a partner's partner at UI until you've made your first partner. You've had a material hand in getting uh, others to the level of partnership. And so there's nothing more special than really coaching and mentoring someone uh, to come behind you to, to make partner. And I had several instances where people made partner under my watch, and it was just a a huge accomplishment and probably gave me the most psychic income that I've felt throughout my career. So that that would be my my favorite. Oh, that's awesome. When you kind of think about what you want to do next in terms of either career, you know, positioning or 
in terms of like what you want to accomplish from a like a legal perspective, like the next kind of big thing you want to tackle? What do you think that is? Well, I'm really focused right now on my global tax role here at EY. You know, we have the best brand in the business. We're looking to continue to pick up market share. And so I just get tremendous energy making sure that we're, um, you know, thriving even in the middle of a global pandemic. We're doing really well, growing our people, growing our business, which is important because I want to, again, get as many people as I can to get promoted to partners around the world. I mean, they're all counting on us to do that. And new young entrants, uh, they want to, you know, get hired by us. So it's just important. I feel like that's, my, you know, where my stewardship and focus need to be. I also love um, my philanthropy work. And so I do have a couple of uh, charities that I'm on the board and serve. So I'm on the All-Star program in New York City. And I love doing that. That's an after-school program for um, the inner city youth of the city. And then I'm also um, involved with Shanti Bhavan, which is a school that uh, takes impoverished children from age four through high school and gets them to go to great colleges around the world in India. And so that's, oh, that's also awesome. really fabulous. Sharon, I've been to the school sites and continued to um, financially help out and, and fundraise for both of those organizations. So that's a little bit of what I'm up to as well. So I'm happy that I have that opportunity to do that. I, well, and that's something that I, when I talk to people, actually, there was a tweet this week um, about, you know, what else do you, it was from a, a 2L on Twitter and said, uh, what else do you do outside of being a lawyer? And I just think it's really important, especially now during the pandemic, that lawyers talk more about what they do outside of their jobs, because I do think there is a, especially amongst you know, law school students, and particularly now because they don't get to actually meet with lawyers, there's a perception that there isn't time to do other things. And it's always really good to hear that, you know, there are people who are engaging in charitable work and, you know, engaging in other activities that are valuable rather than just always focusing on the work because you can get lost in it sometimes. Oh, you can. And projects sometimes can sort of take you out of commission for a couple of months, it feels like. And then you come up for air and say, wait a minute, where has my you know life gone? So, but so much of this is is making sure that you um you plan these things in your calendar, what I've found out. So I keep one calendar and keep my important things that I have to get done personally inside the calendar. I'm not the best at it always, but I <laughs> right. really try and make sure, you know, if it's an important family commitment or an important um, you know, things for my philanthropy and my outside interests, I I schedule them in just like I would a client visit. Right. I do the same thing. I have uh several calendars actually uh, online and paper for that reason. When you kind of think about, you know, what comes next, I know you said you you intend to be where you're gonna be. Where do you see the profession going next? I mean, it is increasingly global. And we're seeing even now under a new administration that, you know, the rules are changing. Where do you see the profession going? Do you think it's going to be increasingly global? Do you think we're going to see more multidisciplinary approaches? Like, do you have a sense of kind of if you had a crystal ball where you think we would be in five years? Sure. I think that the tax profession is going to continue to grow. The complexity only mounts up. I think almost every country in the world right now is revenue starved because of the stimulus efforts that they did, you know, to get through the pandemic to help the citizens in their country survive. Mm -hmm. And so now you're going to have to figure out 
how do you revenue raise, get more in tax money to make up that deficit? Do you do that? When do you do that? The timing, all of that is critically important. And so that just means one thing, which is tax law changes and and new taxes and carbon taxes. Um, you're going to use carrots or sticks to get more sustainability focus and long-term value, which is something that we're really spending a lot more time as companies move from just having a focus on shareholders to a focus on stakeholders. So there's so much ahead that I'm really thinking that the future is bright for anybody who's in the tax and law profession. I just think that there's so much that um, will continue. And I do think it'll be very global, despite maybe uh, this period of time when it feels very nationalistic mm-hmm. with um, you know, the U.S. tax system, particularly being one of the few countries left that really still has a worldwide system of taxation. I mean, that it, uh, what you pay around the world matters. And so, you know, it all impacts your U.S. tax liability, which is different than other countries around the world. So really, really important. So I would go into the profession if you're trying to figure out where you want to go. And that's actually, I was going to ask you if you had any words of advice for law students or young tax professionals who might be listening. Um, so beyond do it, do you have any um, any any advice for younger listeners? I know you mentioned early on the importance of mentors and sponsors, but is there anything that either looking back you would have done differently or looking forward you would tell them to do differently? I think that two things I would say is, you know, be try to um, garner additional language skills. I do think, you know, it comes down to communication so much of what we do. So honing in your communication skills, and if they can be multilingual, that is a huge asset, still one that we continue uh, to look for. So that would be one. And then be as technologically savvy as you can. You don't have to be a black belt or, you know, a a digital czar, but if you can be at least digitally fluent, that helps a lot, no matter, you know, whether your background is is law or accounting, uh, the more that you can use technology and make your way through it very well, uh, that's where the business is going to. So understanding that and being able to understand the um, application of the laws to numbers and, and also being able to look at digital outputs, that's important. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this. I think it's been really helpful. If you wanted to be found either on the web or social media and listeners wanted to find you, where would you send them? Well, I can be found on most of the the digital social media. So at Kate Barton at EY is where I would go. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on in my email. So happy to take questions and hopefully that that helps. Terrific. And I will be sure to put those links in the show notes um, so that people can easily find you. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you, Kelly. And thanks for the opportunity and be well and be safe. You too. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.